Each year his parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom. After the festival was over, they were returning home, but the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. Supposing that he was among their band of travelers, they journeyed on for a full day while looking for him among their family and friends. When they didn't find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Everyone who heard him was amazed by his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were shocked. His mother said, Child, why have you treated us like this? Listen, your father and I have been worried. We've been looking for you. Jesus replied, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother cherished every word in her heart. Jesus matured in wisdom and years and in favor with God and with people. Here ends the reading. When I was about 10 years old or so, I went with my family to a small town outside of San Antonio where I grew up called New Braunfels. New Braunfels is about halfway between San Antonio, the town of my childhood, and Austin, the town of my young adulthood, um, where I went to college and, and worked and lived until I moved to Tokyo. And New Braunfels is really well known for having a water park, a very large water park called Schlitterbahn. New Braunfels is a, a German town, one of several German settlements in Texas. Um, my family is actually from a, a different German settlement in Texas originally, Fredericksburg. But um, anyway, New Braunfels is a German town, and they've got this Schlitterbahn water park. And it's very, very big. It's huge. Um, and a lot of people go there. But we weren't going to Schlitterbahn. We were going to a public park next door to Schlitterbahn. Schlitterbahn is there because there's a river that runs uh, through New Braunfels. And so the water park is built on one bank of the river for a while. And uh, this public park is on the opposite bank right at the beginning of where Schlitterbahn starts. And so we went there because my cousin um, and uh, her her husband, oh, no, no, I'm forgetting, I apologize. Somebody I, I knew, uh, <laughs> somebody related to my family uh, was in a band and the band was, was playing at this public park. And um, it was like a classic rock band and they were, they were playing at this public park and there was a big party going on at this park. And so we, we went and we hung out and I get to hang out for free at the park all day and play in the water in the river. And they, they had tubes. So there was a, a, it was a tubing place and you could rent a, rent an inner tube and then float down the river. But of course I was just staying near the park where my family was. And there was a little waterfall and we would, I would float in the water. It was pretty deep, you know, it was so deep that you couldn't stand. And then I would go over the waterfall and then I would climb back up and, you know, come around and do it again like that. And I was doing this all afternoon. And then at some point, 
um, I, I grabbed hold. I, I went over the waterfall and it went over it a particularly bad way and ended up um, on the bottom of the river <laughs> on the other side and kind of got back up and, and got a hold of somebody. And um, it was uh, a boy around my age and he was rafting or, or you know, uh, inner tubing with his family. Uh, for those who may not know, because I don't know, maybe it's a Texas thing, but inner tubing is, <laughs> or tubing is where you, you sit in a big inner tube, like from a, from a tire, but just the tube part and float down the river. And people usually take like a six pack of beer or something and put it in a tube and, and tie it to their tube. It's, it's a very leisurely activity. It's, you know, you're just laying in the river and letting it carry you downstream. And the way this tubing thing worked is that the, the company that had the tubes had a, had a, uh, a bus. And so they would, they would drop you off in the tubes and then they would go a couple miles downriver and pick you up and then drive you back to where you had started. So I got to talking to this, this boy who was going on the river with me and I found out that he was in the Boy Scouts and I was also in the Boy Scouts. And so we began talking and chatting and, um, before I knew it, I had been talking and tubing down the river with him for about two hours and I was several miles downriver <laughs> from where I had started at this point. And we, were, we got to the part of the river where they pulled everybody out because it wasn't safe to go on. And so they pulled us all out, our tubes and everything. And I had just been kind of hanging on to his tube this whole time. They pulled us out and we were on the other end of Schlitterbahn. And they loaded everybody up into the van or the bus to take them back. Except me, of course, because I was not part of the group. I had not paid for the service or had my own tube or anything. I was just going along for the ride. So here I am several miles downriver from where I started. Nobody knows where I am. This is before cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone. Not that I would have had it on me anyway, tubing down the river, but I didn't. I didn't, my, my mom didn't have a cell phone. I didn't know how to get a hold of her. I didn't know how to get a hold of my cousin, who was the person who was watching me at the river um, or anything. And so I, uh, <laughs> I went up to the Schlitterbahn like security guard or whatever and told them that what had happened. And they eventually got a hold of my cousin who came and picked me up. And she was ecstatic to see me, just super happy to see me, but also very, very upset with me <laughs> because they had like been making announcements over the PA. They had been freaking out because I was gone. And I learned a very viable lesson about telling people where you are <laughs> that day. And I, when I read this scripture about Jesus going to the temple and, and his parents leaving and going home and then realizing he's not there and then having to turn around and come back, it always reminds me of this story of me floating down the river. So what about this reading? So in the reading, what we have is we, we see that Mary and Joseph are devout Jews. Last thing we heard about them was uh, when Jesus was circumcised and then when he um, was presented in the, in the temple and kind of dedicated in the temple. And so now it's been many years since then, 12 years since then, and, and Jesus is 12 years old. And what we learn is that Mary and Joseph are very devout, and they go every year to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, which is 
one of three feasts that uh, that occurred or three um, uh, events that occurred in in the Jewish religious life where at the time um, men especially were expected if possible to travel to Jerusalem to go to the temple for these for these feasts and so this is and Passover is the, the most important of them so if you couldn't go to the other ones you at least tried to go to Passover and we see here that Mary and Joseph are very devout because not only does Joseph go, but Mary goes with him and they bring Jesus along, even though he's not yet of age. So they're, they're very devout and they're going in a larger group because it was um, easier to travel in a group. You were less likely to be, uh, you know, attacked on the road or anything. And they're going with their family. So like their you know, their extended family and friends. So everyone gets together, you know, it's that time of year. It, it'd be kind of like, if you can imagine, you know, Christmas is coming and, and everyone decides to go, you know, back home for Christmas as a group, except we don't have, we don't have, um, planes and stuff. So we just caravan our way back, right? Like in a group and we switch out drivers and stuff. Very similar kind of idea, right? They have a big group of people going. And so, but this, this time Jesus was 12 and he went up with his parents as usual. But when they, when his parents left and started to come back, they discovered that Jesus wasn't with them. And it took them a whole day of traveling before they realized that. And it's not safe to travel at night, so they had to wait until the next day to come back. It took them a day to get back. And then they spent another day looking for Jesus. And so they don't find him until the third day. Okay, And on the third day, they find him in the temple discussing things with the religious leaders of the day. And asking them questions and listening intently to what they have to say. And everyone is amazed at the questions that he asked and at, how, at his understanding of the scriptures and everything. Now, why is it important that Jesus is 12 in this story? The, the reason why this is important is that this means that Jesus would have been coming into um, manhood or adulthood from the Jewish point of view. Nowadays, it's, it's very common on, um, on uh, the 13th birthday of a, a Jewish boy, they have an event called a bar mitzvah, which is their official um, coming of age ceremony for coming, coming of age and becoming an adult. And uh, there's, there's some debate, but there, there's some uh, evidence to, to support the idea that at the time, this would have happened either when you were 12 or 13, that it wasn't quite so strict on the exact age, but that it was more about when a boy um, went through puberty, uh, that, that they, he would move into the adult, uh, into adulthood. And one of the reasons why this is an important part of this story is that moving into adulthood for Jesus would mean that he would be allowed to leave the, the portion of the temple set aside for women and children and go into the portion of the temple set aside for men to worship where the women and the children were not allowed. It also means that on his uh, way back with the family back uh, to his hometown, he may have been traveling with the men instead of with the women and the children. And this might explain why it took them a day to find him, because, you know, maybe Mary thought he was with Joseph and Joseph thought he was with Mary. And it wasn't until they got where they were going and, and everyone talked together that they realized that he wasn't there at all. And so when they go back and they find him in the temple talking to the, the religious leaders, this also is not... Uh, 
exceptional. Like, this is not a miraculous event or anything. This is, this is what would happen after a service. There would be a time set aside for people to come and ask the religious leaders questions, whatever questions they had, and hear their answers and have debates and things. Now, what's unusual is not that uh, Jesus is, is doing this. What's unusual is that he's uh, doing such a good job of it, I guess. Like, pe- people are really impressed with the quality of his questions and his, and his deep understanding of the scriptures and everything. So when Mary and Joseph finally find him in the temple, Mary, much like my cousin did in, the, my, in my story, approaches him and, and she says, child, and I like this, I like this translation, child, because the, the Greek is like, like uh, uh, the child that I have born. Like it's a really, it, it's a, it's a really um, close uh, relationship word, right? Child, you know, why have you done this to us? <laughs> we, we were looking for you and we were worried. We couldn't find you. Why did you do this? And his reaction is one of surprise. Why, why were you looking for me? Didn't, didn't you know that I would be in my, in my father's house? And this line and this interchange is really interesting for two reasons. One is that Mary specifically says uh, that she and and your father have been looking for you. I and your your father and I have been looking for you. So she calls Joseph Jesus's father, and then Jesus immediately responds with, "Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house?" And so Jesus is claiming God as his father in this line. And he's saying, you know, why would you think that I would be anywhere else except in my father's house, meaning in God's house or in the temple? Now, the Greek here is also kind of interesting. It can it can be translated. It's, it's really ambiguous, actually. It doesn't say house. It just says, among the things that belong to my father. That The, the literal translation is, among the things that belong to my father. So uh, from context, we can understand it to mean uh, the temple. Uh, you know, my father's house, as it's often translated. Some Bibles, some English Bibles translate it as among my father's affairs or among my father's, um, uh, maybe even possessions or something. But but we can also see how the ambiguity is um, important to the narrative. So yes, he's physically located among, you know, in his father's house, in the temple, but he's also right in the middle of all of the goings on of the temple, of all of the work of God. He's doing the work of God. He's he's digging into the scriptures. He's asking questions. He's engaging people. He's meeting with people. He's he's um, you know asking difficult questions and and providing answers and and things. So he's doing God's work also. So in that way, he's also among the things of his father, right? Among his father's affairs or among the, among God's affairs or God's work. And so it has a double meaning. And I think both meanings are actually kind of important in this, in this phrase. Now, before this, we've seen lots of other people refer to Jesus as the son of God. We've had the angels. Um, we've had uh, Simeon. We've had, um, you know, all of these interchanges about uh, that Jesus is coming and he's going to be the son of God and he's, you know, all these kind of things. But here we have Jesus actually claiming this divinity. Here we have Jesus actually saying, you know, actually calling God his father directly. Now, after this, the, the text says, simply says that he went home with his parents and um, was obedient to them and grew in stature 
and uh, and wisdom, and uh, became well loved both by God and people. So he just you know all we hear about is that he grew up, and then the next line, the next verse of this, Jesus is thirty years old and is beginning his ministry. So so we we completely miss everything between age one and 12 and everything between age 12 and 30 is just left out. So Luke doesn't really give us much about Jesus's childhood. Now there's a bunch of apocryphal writings, meaning writings that are not considered to be part of the Christian canon that talk about uh, the childhood of Jesus. And to be honest, I haven't read any of these, but I've, I've heard, you know, uh, bits and pieces of them. And from my understanding, there's a lot of uh, miraculous stuff. So there's stories about Jesus um, performing miracles as a child and things. But I think what's kind of interesting about Luke's account is that Luke doesn't mention any of that. In fact, before his ministry begins, Luke doesn't really mention anything miraculous that Jesus does. I mean, going to the temple and and debating with or or talking with the religious leaders is um is maybe the the sign of, of a gifted child or of a, a child who is really um, ahead of himself uh, intellectually or who is really interested in, in religion much more so than most children are. But it's not of, in and of itself miraculous. It's not, it's not something outside of, of the human um, condition, outside of, of human experience. So rather instead, what, what Luke focuses on is that Jesus was a normal boy. Luke points out three specific events in Jesus's childhood, his circumcision, or I guess maybe for his, his birth, <laughs> his circumcision, um, his dedication in the temple and his coming of age. And then the next thing we, we see is his adulthood when he, when he's, you know, beginning his ministry. But these events that, that you know, putting the birth aside for a minute, these, these three events, the circumcision, the dedication and the coming of age, they seem to be in the story to point out the fact, um, A, that, that Mary and Joseph were very devout Jews and were following all of the, the religious precepts that they were supposed to be doing. They, they were going to, the, to Jerusalem. They were instructing Jesus properly in the ways of Judaism, all of that. And then B, secondly, that Jesus um, was raised properly, so to speak, as a proper Jewish child. He did the things that were expected of him. He, he was circumcised. He was dedicated. He had his, his, uh, bar mitzvah. He, you know, he, um, in in the temple, he, you know, he was obedient to his parents. Um, he grew in, in wisdom, um, and he became loved by God and by people. So he, he worked to be someone that, that people trusted and liked, you know, he wasn't himself really an outsider or anything. He he was, uh, according to Luke, just a normal boy living a normal life according to the social expectations of the the society that he grew up in. And I think Luke's reason for putting this in here um, was to kind of remove any doubt that uh, that Jesus was raised as a a proper Jewish boy. Because I think in in the early church there was this idea um, among some um, detractors from Christianity that that maybe Jesus hadn't been brought up right. That the reason why he had kind of rebelled against Judaism, if you will, 
is because, you know, his parents taught him weird things, you know, maybe his parents were, were, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe his parents were hippies and that's why he was turned out so bad or something. And so Luke is trying to point out, no, no, they, they were devout, uh, they were devout Jews and they raised him properly and all that. But I think kind of what's more interesting than that about this is that for Luke, the the focus is not only on the divinity of Jesus, which we, we get through uh, Jesus claiming God is his father from, from the, the, uh, the uh, virgin birth, from the, the angels coming in and telling um, the shepherds of his coming, um, from all of that kind of thing, from Simeon, all of those places, but also uh, the humanity of Jesus. The, the Jesus was not just you know god not just a a deity the jesus was a person jesus was a little boy who was raised by his parents who got into trouble i'm sure who who you know ran around and played games with other children who was forced to go to church (laughs) every every however often they went um you know had had to go with his family to the to the the gathering every year for passover uh, you know, got lost and yelled at by his mom for for not checking in and for, for not going with everybody else. I mean, he was he was a, a a regular boy. He he grew up a regular human life, and I think that is really important. I think that sometimes we we forget that what makes Jesus so special, at least in my opinion, and, and I think, uh, and this is kind of a bedrock of of my faith personally, is not this idea that Jesus is God. It's, it's the idea that God in Jesus lived a human life and knows what it means to live a human life. You know, a lot of us tend to, to put a barrier between ourselves and God, to think of God as being completely other, completely distinct from us. And certainly in some ways that's true. God, God is beyond our understanding. God is outside of our existence. But what Christianity says that's, that I think is really interesting, one of the reasons that I was drawn to it, is it says that that is true, and yet also God is with us. God knows what it's like to be human. That in Jesus, God came and lived a human life and experienced what that's like, experienced what it's like to, to grow up and, and the frustrations of childhood and, and getting yelled at by your mother and your parents and having to learn a trade and, and make a living in the world. And then also to learn what it's like to come to the end of your life and, and to be fearful and, and to wonder if, if you've done the right thing, to wonder if you've done everything you can do. To weep when your friends die suddenly. All of these things, you know, um, to see all of the inequality in the world. Jesus did those things. Jesus lived in the world as a human being. And so we, we can't lose that. We, we, we can't put Jesus up on a pedestal and make him a deity and have him be completely untouched by the world. Because that that is... Um, to lose the point of the story. The point is that Jesus was of the world, just as we are. Sometimes we might think 
for example, that, that we are not holy, that our bodies are not holy, that this earth is uh, debased and unholy and, and, you know, that there's a separate existence beyond that is better, a separate existence that is completely different. And if only we can escape this existence, then we can reach that one. And yet the church has said uh, time and again that that's not a correct understanding that although there is another another place there is um, another realm which we we go to the idea is that this place here is also holy our bodies are also holy god created it and god said it was good and so here we have kind of god walking the walk um <laughs> god uh putting putting their their money where their mouth is so to speak coming and living as a human being and being in the world and being part of the world and through that becoming human through that being uh, being one of us and living the human condition coming to understand even better what it means to be human and um, helping to bring us back into communion with god so what would it be like, you know, what would it be like if we walked around all day, every day, reminding ourselves of the fact that God is with us, that God knows us intimately, that God knows what it means to be human, that, that in God and in Jesus, we have not a distant, disconnected deity, but uh, a friend and a confidant and a companion in our, in our life who knows what we're going through and can empathize with us and can be there with us in the pain and in the suffering and in the happiness and in the joy. What does it mean if we can go every day and hold that in our, in our minds when we are, when we find ourselves in sorrow, when we find ourselves feeling separated, you know, among this pandemic, when we can't see our families and when, when people are, are so disconnected, we can remember that God is God is with us. How would that change the way that we behave, the way that we interact, the way that we are in the world? That's what I want us to ponder this week. Amen.